everyone. Welcome to this episode of All Things Iceland. It's Jules. It's true. We are still full on in winter here right now, but I had to come on and talk about this particular topic, basically essential trip planning tips for summer in Iceland, because there's a lot happening, especially coming up in 2023 for summer. But I think going forward, this information will be extremely useful to anyone planning a trip in Iceland. Since we're coming out of people being restricted regarding travel, so many more people are planning to come to Iceland this summer. And it's the high season. Any time of the year can be where people are in the country, but during June, July, and August, you can expect that Iceland will see the most amount of visitors. And that's great, of course, but also for you, that can make a difference in your trip and in your planning in particular, like this is a crucial time in essence for your planning. And so I just want to give you some advice. And this is actually coming from the fact that I do one-on-one consultations with people. So I specifically have this service, the trip planning consultation in which, you know, we get on Google Meet if the person decides to book and we talk about what they're planning to do. I help give them advice, you know, make it more of a doable plan because a lot of the times the person is coming for their first time or even coming again, but to a new area of the country and they're just not sure about what's the best thing to see, do, you know, different places to go eat, things like that. And I'm really loving doing these hour long sessions because it just helps people to really nail down what they need, but also provides me with some insight about questions that people have regarding what they should do, when they should book things, expectations, and all of that jazz. So while the calls are personalized, meaning the trip planning consultations, I'm just going to share some of the questions that are coming up, or at least answers, I should say, to questions that come up that I think can be helpful for everyone that is planning a visit during the peak season. But before I jump into those tips, if you're interested in getting personalized trip planning advice from me, you can book me for a consultation via my website. So on the homepage of my website at the top where there's like home, shop, there's different little buttons. One is trip planning and you can just click there or there will be a link in the show notes of this episode at allthingsiceland.com forward slash Iceland dash summer dash travel dash tips. I am always delighted to hear at the end of the video call of my consultations that it's been so helpful and people have enjoyed chatting with me. One review of this service that I just want to read out because I'm always appreciative and there are other reviews, but I'm just picking one for this time around is from Rihanna D and not Rihanna, the singer (laughs) slash billionaire, but, and, and also very lovely Rihanna who wrote, And I quote, our conversation with Jules made a distant and unfamiliar place that was foreign to us, Iceland, seem familiar and practical. She helped design a trip that was exciting to me, an active young adult, and accessible to my travel partner, my retired mother. I particularly recommend taking advantage of her rental car discount code, end quote. So thank you for that review, Rihanna, and of course, other people who have left reviews as well. And the rental car code she is referring to is for Go Car Rental Iceland. And by using Iceland 10, which is my code, you can save 10% on your full rental car cost from a local and amazing car rental company. 
This especially comes in handy during the summer because the cost of rental cars can double when compared to the winter due to high demand. In fact, last year I'd mentioned in some of my other episodes that a person who used my code last summer saved over $400 with this code and by switching to this local car company. So definitely take advantage of that if you have not already because it's already expensive in Iceland and any way you can save is always good. All right, so let's jump into those tips. Now I'm going to start off with particularly the things that right now, if you're already planning to come to Iceland, you need to take care of right away if you have not already. So number one, of course, after you get your flights, Booking your accommodations as soon as possible. I cannot stress that enough. And the reason why I'm saying that is because before 2023 even started, 70% of accommodations in Iceland were already booked for the summertime. I'm talking about from June to August. And a lot of construction is happening here to build more accommodations, but it has really been hard to keep up with the demand of the number of travelers. So it's getting kind of sparse out there. And camper vans too, that goes for, you know, whether your accommodations are going to be on the road, meaning actually moving because they're your, you know, car, or you're driving to or staying in Reykjavik, whatever, it's going to be Airbnbs, all of that. It is getting to a point where, especially if you're going to be staying for several days, that you'll find it's harder to find places. So I just highly recommend that you do that. So you don't, get disappointed or you're not forced to end up renting a place that's ridiculously expensive or staying somewhere so far out of like downtown or wherever else that you would plan to stay in because there's no place available. And like I mentioned, camper vans, same with rental cars. It's a little bit more leeway to be fair with your rental car. But again, when it comes to the variety, that's when you're going to see a difference. So In the summer here in Iceland, one of the great things is that the weather is better. You don't have to, you know, worry about any ice or snow. And so you can rent a two-wheel drive car, drive all around the country. The only place, of course, that you wouldn't go to with a two-wheel drive car is in the highlands. But for most people coming to Iceland, they're not driving into the highlands. So I'm I'm specifically speaking for the normal tourist or the tourist that you know, is not looking to to venture that way on their own. Those cars are great. The roads around the country are paved. There are some gravel roads, but the two-wheel drive cars can handle them. And the reason why I'm saying it's good to get into, like, and it's good to book them is because, first of all, the ones that cost less get snagged first, of course, right? Because people are trying to save money. And then also... The four by four cars, if you're looking to go into the highlands, those get snagged. (laughs) So it ends up leaving kind of this middle ground car, which not bad at all, but more expensive than sometimes you need for your adventure, depending on how many people you're going to be in your car. If it's just two of you, then you don't need a very large car. And so I'm just kind of giving that advice about things to really look for. And if you're planning to camp, so in a camper van or in a tent, Campsites can sell out because they are so popular, mainly the ones in the south of the country. So if you're going to be in like the west, the north, the east, west fjords, it is less of the chance that they're going to completely sell out. But the south is a great place to go. I never try to discourage anyone from going there. It's just that a lot of people end up going. So that's the reason why 
it feels like it could be crowded in Iceland, where in reality, the rest of the country doesn't have as many people. So something to keep in mind. And that I will be talking about a little bit later in this episode. But it is good to kind of map out the places that you plan to visit in Iceland and then the campsites nearby so that you can book them in advance as well. There are some tours and experiences that definitely are high in demand. The number one that people usually end up feeling sad about if they can't get into is the Blue Lagoon. And without fail, every summer, there are people who come who have not booked their Blue Lagoon tickets in advance and they can't get in. They show up to the door just expecting they can buy a ticket. And unfortunately, that is not how it works anymore because of the high demand. And whether you're a fan of the Blue Lagoon or not, I think it's a beautiful place. You know, there are other places like Sky Lagoon, which is closer to Reykjavik, within Reykjavik capital area. But if you do want to, you know, chuck it off your bucket list or something, do yourself a favor and book it early. And on top of that, I do have to mention, of course, people could pull out and their reservation gets canceled and they then end up having space. But I wouldn't bank on that. Like, it's just, it's your vacation, it's your time. And it's good to kind of have certain things secure so you don't feel like you're now kind of missing out potentially on something that you really wanted to do. Glacier walks and whale watching tours, sometimes those can get booked up pretty quickly. But for the most part, a lot of the tour experiences seem to be okay uh, regarding that. If you want to do the Into the Volcano, I think it's called, that's a really, that tour gets booked up no matter what. Even during COVID, it was getting booked up when they opened it again. So it's just like, the experience is like that, but they're, I'd say the Blue Lagoon kind of takes the cake in this regard. Mountain huts. So if you're planning to travel into the highlands and not necessarily with a car, but you want to hike, which is great. I love it. I've been very fortunate to do like the House Trail and then this other nine day hike from Sveinstendur to Landmarlöger. So I did part of the Lögerveger Trail. I was actually thinking about doing the Lögerveger Trail this year, just because I've technically not done from Lögerveger to Thorsmörk uh, in one go, but I've tra- I've traveled on different parts of the trail. So it's just one of those things where I kind of want to be like, no, I've definitely done it. And it's a really fun trail. I've heard a lot of people like doing it. it takes three to four days. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is that that there are huts there. So if you want to book it yourself, you can book huts like that bunk beds. You would have to bring your own, you know, sleeping bag, your own food, and then of course like you're walking from hut to hut. But it is a really fun experience. And so if you want to do that, I have a link in the show notes in which you can actually do it for yourself. However, there are people who are not a big fan of that. And they want someone else to do it, like a tour company. So if that's the case, I would start looking at that now, too, because this experience gets booked up, too. It's a very popular trail. It's, it will mean there will be more people on it. Fimbrahaus won't have as many people on it. So that is from Thorsmörk to Skogar, or it could be the other way around. It kind of just depends. Just as FYI, I did that one. Oh my God. It's challenging, but in the best possible way. And it's gorgeous. And there's another trail like the Askechia. There's all these different possibilities. So what I'm getting at is if you like to hike and you would love to see nature that the majority of people will not see, this is like one of the beat the crowd kind of tips here is 
definitely do a multi-day hike if you have that time. It is beautiful. It's fun. It's a bit challenging, especially with the weather, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I always come away feeling so refreshed, even if I, you know, had been raining a lot. Granted, you, you know, make sure you have the gear for it, but I just highly recommend it. And I look forward to being out there this year. So, so maybe if you do it, who knows? I'll see you on the trail. What to wear in Iceland. And for summer, this is, I'm not going to go into all the things because I've talked about it in other episodes. And I do have a free packing checklist that is in the show notes of this episode. So if this is your first time listening, then you can, you know, get access to that. Or if you've been hearing me say that and have been thinking about it, here's another opportunity to grab that checklist. Many people who, you know, message me have, have talked about how much it's been helpful for them. Just because there's certain things you just might forget or might not realize you should bring. One of those being a mask for your eyes, because in Iceland we have 24-hour bright days. I love the summertime for this. Some people are not big fans of it. And especially if you can't sleep, that will be something that is not so much fun. There are blackout curtains in hotels, Airbnb, stuff like that. But people still find there's a little bit of light that comes through that bothers them. So definitely having that. And even though Iceland is pretty far north, sunscreen. There have been a decent amount of people on glaciers, especially when the sun hits the ice and then it's reflected off and they get burned. Or on a really beautiful day where it's super sunny, hardly any clouds, the sun here can be very intense. So sunscreen, sunglasses, a fly net if you're going to be in the Mivat area, which is a lake and it's literally named after these little flies that are annoying. And then we have these biting flies that started showing up as of two summers ago, I think. And in my opinion, this is a harder one because we're not used to having insects, like, you know, being from the U.S. and dealing with mosquitoes. That was one thing. And then come to Iceland and be like, oh, there's nothing here that does that. And then all of a sudden, now there is. It's disheartening. It's mostly in the countryside, though. So just FYI. And what I suggest as a tip is to ask the accommodations that you're planning to stay in if they've had any issue with biting flies in the summer. Some of them have started to put up little nets on their windows so that when you open up the window, it still gives you fresh air, but none of the flies can come in. But if they have been having it, any type of issue, I mean, bring some repellent with you or think about bringing some repellent with you, whether it is something that you spray on or something you clip on, whatever it is. Because some people have woken up with bites all over them in the countryside and that's really uncomfortable and not fun. So... Just a word of caution. That's not something a lot more people are talking about as much here because I think we're all just kind of hoping it goes away, but it might not happen anytime soon. So yeah. When it comes to driving around the country, I'm going to do a whole up another episode about driving times to popular attractions, what makes those attractions popular as well, why they're worthwhile and things of that nature. But I do want to give a tip regarding driving around the country. First of all, it takes actually over 17 hours if you want to drive just around the ring road of Iceland. I'm talking about not stopping the car at all, which obviously you'd run out of gas or electricity or whatever, whatever type of car you're driving. So it would take you longer than 17 hours. But just as a understanding uh, that Iceland looks small on the map, but in terms of driving around it, it actually takes a lot longer, and I do not recommend doing that. First of all, you'd be exhausted. You wouldn't see anything. You'd miss out on amazing things to do in the country. 
And I've had like consultation calls with people who are coming for three days, for five days. And some of them have wanted to drive around. Like that was their initial hope. But then actually when we talked about it, there was kind of a better understanding that what they want to experience, they could get. And driving around the whole country might sound, you know, fun initially, but not being able to say walk on that glacier or go kayaking or go to the black sand beach, like different things for that individual that they had in mind or having time at the spa, this wouldn't be possible, right? So my recommendation, honestly, if you want to drive around the country is to do at least seven days. I did have a call recently with somebody where they're going to do six days and we made it totally doable because their child had or has, I should say, a wish to do the whole ring road. And so they're like, hey, I'm going to take six days and do it. I think that's amazing. It is tight, <laughs> but it is doable. I mean, like the person is completely aware that they're not going to be able to stop in, in as many places as maybe they would like to, but that's okay. So, but as I mentioned, seven days is good. 10 days is great because then you can really fit in a lot more things. And actually I might do an episode on like a sample itinerary for this if people are interested in that, because I do feel like this could be very helpful just to give you an idea. Also, I'm working on a resource that will make it easier for people to plan their trips in Iceland, like making their own itineraries and stuff. So if you want to be the first to know about that, sign up for my newsletter, which I'll have a link to in the show notes, because I'm really excited and I'm hoping, I'm really working hard to get it out by next month, because like I mentioned, summer's coming and I think this resource will really change the game for many people when it comes to having their own itineraries and itineraries that I create that you can get access to and even personalized ones. You can sign up for that too. So, so I'll have the link, like I mentioned, for my newsletter because I will announce it first there and then later on make announcements in other places. But as you're planning your trip, you'll be able to utilize that. So you're probably also wondering about how to beat the crowd. So I gave you one tip earlier. <laughs> and another one has to do with the fact that Reykjavik and the South Coast are going to be the places where it's crowded the most, apart from the Blue Lagoon, which of course won't have as many people as Reykjavik and the South Coast at the same time. And that's just how it is. One way to beat the crowds, though, is to get to these locations, the attractions, very early in the morning or super late, super late at night. And I'm saying like that's if you want to see the South Coast without as many people at the waterfalls and whatever. If you go during regular times, you just end up seeing it with more people. It doesn't have to be a negative experience. I'm just letting individuals know who happen to want to have that experience of maybe being in front of a waterfall with maybe one or two other individuals. Not the best in terms of people who need to sleep or you know want to go to bed at <laughs> a relatively decent time. Another tip, though, is, and I've said this before, to go to other parts of the country. Like, my favorite part of Iceland, or one of my favorite parts, is the West Fjords. And it is off the ring road, though. So it takes longer to get there, but it's so worth it. It's extremely beautiful. I, I'll be there for sure this coming summer. East Fjords, yes. Highlands, yes. Some parts of North Iceland, for sure. And that's why, you know, in my opinion, at least that when Iceland gets this kind of overcrowded talk that happens in the media is that people are focusing on one area and not realizing there's so much, oh, the Westman Islands, that's pretty much like hardly anyone goes there. There's a ferry that goes there and it's in the South. So one South location 
that you can really, and it's, it's so beautiful there, really feel like there's hardly as many people as definitely the Westman Islands. Puffins, they are coming during the summertime. And uh, back to my favorite West Fjords, if you want to see the puffins in a way that I've, I have not experienced yet anywhere else, then you have to go to a place called Lautra Bjark. Lautra Bjark. And it's gorgeous. First of all, it's a great place to go hiking. I've been to different places like Borgafjordur Estre in the East Fjords and to the Westman Islands, where, you know, there's a largest puffin colony. Like there's so many puffins that come to the Westman Islands. But in the West Fjords, Lautra Bjark, in my opinion, takes the cake. It is insane how well you can see them. And it's a far off place. I mean, I'm not going to make it seem like you just easily get there. It's a long drive. The roads are not that great, but it's worth it. A thousand percent. I've been there twice and I'm planning to go back again. And I probably, that will probably continue to be my favorite place unless I'm on a boat <laughs> seeing the puffins because that's another really fun experience is on a boat. But if in terms of like not needing another person to guide you there, this place is magical. It's really beautiful. So highly recommend. <laughs> and whale watching, that is a really fun activity and you can do it. So people have asked, often asked me in calls whether or not Reykjavik is a good place to do it. It is. Summertime is when more whales are available out in the sea. Uh, they seem to be more, you know, that are have migrated up here. And I have often gone to North Iceland to do it just because they call it the capital of whale watching up there in Husvik. But still, for sure, they wouldn't run towards, believe me, in like South Iceland in Reykjavik if there weren't whales out there. And some companies, I don't know if they still do it, but some companies say like if you didn't see a whale during your trip, then they'll give you another chance to go back or something like that. But yeah, I've even seen whales especially in the north when it wasn't um, peak time. So, you know, fun, fun tidbits of information to keep in your back pocket as you're planning your trips because this is super helpful. At least it has been for some of the people I've talked to and, and definitely I hope it is for you as well. If you haven't booked your flight tickets yet and you want to be a part of some fun activities here, here are two events that are highly worth seeing or in you know attending during summertime here and they both happen in august so one is Reykjavik pride it's a lot of fun and the parade which takes up like all of downtown is a family event here there's music there's shows all this stuff that's happening during Reykjavik pride it's, it's super colorful and of course celebrating the pride community and then the next one, so Pride this year is supposed to be August 8th to 13th. And there's also Miningarnot, which is culture night. And all of downtown Reykjavik is basically shut off. The buses drive people, you know, to places for free. And that's in late August as well. So it'll be right after Pride, probably the weekend after, like the 20th or something. But I think last year maybe it was the 20th. If the 19th is on a Saturday, then that's when it will be. Super fun as well. Lots of activities, lots of concerts, like just on the street, like you're just walking around and things are happening as you're walking around. So highly recommend it, that part time in August if you want to come and be a part of festivities that 
for me, I look forward to every year. Like I didn't go to Miniganot last year because of my mom's 70th birthday and I was in New York celebrating her. But this year I'm going to be there because I love it. And actually maybe she'll come if she feels up to it and party with me. So those are my tips, my essential tips that I wanted to share with you regarding summer in Iceland. And I hope that you utilize them if you are planning to come because it will save you a lot of time and potential stress. The random fact of the episode. So in some places where that have become popular, they've started to charge for parking. And that has more to do with the fact that infrastructure has been needed in order to provide services at these locations. And one of them is Yokosalon Glacier Lagoon. So they haven't started doing it yet, but as of April 1st, well, coming up, and I know that's, that's not an April Fool's joke either. I don't know why people chose that day, but you know, such is life. But they're going to test these cameras for two months. So the cameras read the license plate. And if you haven't paid within a certain time, then you get charged or your rental car company gets charged and you, know, you end up getting the bill, which costs you more than if you had just paid that ticket for parking in that lot. But that's the whole idea is they're going to be testing it for two months and then start collecting on June 1st. And the price will be a thousand Icelandic kroner, so around seven or eight dollars for a regular passenger car. And if you visit the Glacier Lagoon and Skaptafet, which is in Vatnajökull National Park, within the same 24-hour period, they're close to each other, relatively close, then you get a 50% discount because there is also a parking mandatory payment at the national park. So makes sense. This FYI, want people to know as things are happening and this is very new. So even if you were coming back to Iceland and doing something, you know, things are always changing, which good to keep up to date as much as you can. The Icelandic word of the episode is Mekelvægur, which means essential because I'm talking about essential tips for traveling here. As always, thank you so much for listening. Fakathir Kailegar Firir Ab Lusta Og Shams Flutlega. Mm-hmm.